Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And welcome to this week's edition of the CEO Roundtable. Fred Perry, your host this morning. Good Saturday morning. Thank you for tuning in to The Eagle. Glad to have you with us. Our guest this morning is Columbia Public School Superintendent Peter Stiepelman. Peter, good morning to you. Great to have you with us. Good morning to you, too. That is quite a song to start one's morning, isn't That's it? That's exactly right. You so were it's, born <laughs> here. I was, I was like, I was rocking out. And if I get my way, I'm going to stay here. How about that? That's, <laughs> that's right. That's, that's not a promise. That's a threat. So uh, anyway, well, great to have you with you and, and, and with you. us. And, and certainly we have had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you have been dealing with COVID-19 in a big way, and you're trying to do some planning. And we're going to get to that uh, coming up in in the uh, the next segments, but uh, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about you for a minute. Uh, tell us a little okay. bit about your background and, and how you uh, ended up uh, becoming the superintendent of Columbia Public Schools. Sure. So I was uh, born and raised in Long Island, New York. Uh, and so when I think about I grew up in the house that my mother grew up in. So how about that? Wow. Yeah. And so um, I went to school in upstate New York. I um, I moved to Madrid, Spain, and worked at the U.S. Embassy there. I was a Spanish major in international affairs and um, came back to – I hope this is what you were hoping for. No, that's I'm great. Tell you Very my interesting. Life story, yeah, my that's friend. great. So, um, so I came back for, um, a, for New Year's, um, and I met a lovely lady who um, said, you seem like a nice guy, but I'm moving to California. So I said, um, me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, in a non-stalking way. Yeah. I, uh, I, I went back to Spain. I, I, um, I sort of closed out my affairs there and, uh, and then moved to California. And um, I worked for an insurance company, actually. So I was, wow. um, I was an insurance broker for a year. And, um, and one day, received something in the mail. Um, and it said, drop everything and read day at a local school in the Bay Area. And so I went to that school. I read a story uh, that my uh, in-laws had written. Uh, well, now they're my in-laws, but they, uh, at that point, they were my girlfriend's parents. And, um, and it was about, um, it was a story that my father-in-law had heard as a child growing up in China. He was um, born in Hong Kong, but grew up in Shanghai. And when the Japanese invaded uh, China, he used his British passport to get back to Hong Kong and then to London and then ultimately to the U.S. And um, so this is a story that he had heard as a child, and I read it to the students, and I just... I I realized that it's really really why, where I wanted to be, Absolutely. and so I went yeah. um, back to school in the evenings and on the weekends at UC Berkeley, and um, began uh, my career as a teacher in the Oakland public schools. And so I was a Spanish bilingual teacher. It was at a time where they were desperate for Spanish bilingual teachers, and um, and then I became an assistant principal in uh, in a school of about 850 kids, and um, and then. Um, my wife at that point, and we had a child, uh, the same person I pursued to California. It all worked out, so that's good. Usually it ends in tears. That's it? right. That's Not right. this one. This is, this is I guess, one for the hell. record. Who book. knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um, and, um, uh, and so she said, well, I'm going on the job market. She was finishing up her PhD, uh, and, um, and she said, there's an 18% chance in my field that I'll get a job. And uh, 
but she is remarkable. And um, so she had a job offer in Texas and at Mizzou. And so we came and made a sort of clandestine trip to uh, Columbia and uh, fell in love with the town immediately. What year and was that? Do you remember? 2004. Okay. 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So we moved here in the summer of 2004. And, um, and then I worked on my dissertation for a year. So I didn't... Um, uh, so I was volunteering at West Boulevard uh, three days a week, just reading with kids mm-hmm. at a time that when Vicki Robb had um, left Russell Boulevard to um, to become the principal over at West Boulevard. Mm. And, um, and so I read three days a week. And then at the end of that year, I, I had finished my coursework and, and for my dissertation. So at that point, I was just going to need to write it in the evenings. And so, um, you know, I needed to get a job. So I applied for a job in the public schools. I tried to get one at West Boulevard as a kindergarten teacher, and Vicki wisely said, not a chance. <laughs> so I started teaching at uh, Derby Ridge. I worked for Mike Schooley, and, um, and then the next year returned to West Boulevard as an administrator. So I was an assistant principal there for a couple of years, and then I was a principal for a couple of years after Vicki retired. And then Chris Belcher hired me to be his assistant soup uh, for elementary. And so I did that for four years, and now uh, I am uh, finishing my sixth year. So I'm now starting my seventh year as the superintendent uh, of the Columbia Public Schools. Wow. So that is yeah. kind of my career path. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, that, that, I've i learned a lot that I had not known before. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Mike Schooley. I, I have talked to a lot of teachers over the years and administrators who, who trained under him and uh, speak very highly of him. So, yeah, uh, he's very gifted yeah. um, and really could capture um, – yeah, he had he had um, an intellect uh, when it came to uh, curriculum and instruction, but he also had a really strong sense of how you build community within your school, but also reaching out to the the community outside of your school. And so, I learned a lot working for him. Yeah. Now you ended. Uh, you mentioned uh, living uh, in your in the house that your mother grew up in. Yeah. And yeah. I know that there's some connection. Uh, you are somehow related to Supreme Court Justice Ruth. Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, she got married in that house. Is that right? Okay, so yeah. she is your aunt. Is that correct? She's my aunt. That's okay, correct. And, and on your mother's now, side, now you've lost your listeners. No, and this now- is no, this is great. <laughs> uh, even Eagle listeners have an appreciation for I'm RGB. Dead. Yeah, so RBG, I should say. Yeah. Um, so, well, that's that's so that's your mother's sister. Is that correct? So it's actually my mother's sister-in-law. So oh, sister-in-law. Um, okay. my my mother's um, husband, my mother's husband, my mother's uh, brother, brother. Yeah. is Martin Ginsburg, Martin okay. D. Ginsburg, right. uh, and and she and Ruth met at uh, he and Ruth met at Colum- at uh, Cornell, and um, and then she followed him to Harvard. Um, uh, because she was a year behind, and then um, when he got a job in New York City. Um, Harvard uh, was difficult about uh, allowing her to still graduate, even though she had finished two years at Harvard, to graduate with a Harvard degree. So she went to Columbia. We should all have those kinds of uh, yeah problems. Yeah. Like, oh, geez, I guess I'll have to go from Harvard to Columbia. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, well, but she's uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I agree. Is Martin still alive? No, he passed away a few years ago. Okay. But he is a really interesting guy himself. I mean, he was a tax attorney, um, and there's a great movie called On the Basis of Sex that yeah. is uh, that yeah. sort of is a uh, a sort of a, bio, a biopic of about her. Is that um, true to form? Is that true to life? Well, my younger brother wrote it, so I'll say oh. yes. So I'll say yes. So <laughs> I had he, no idea. He, he writes. Uh, yeah, okay. he's, he's in he's in the in the film industry. Yeah, but that was he, a fantastic movie. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was um, it is it is fairly true to form, I would say. And um, 
but I, I can remember, yeah, so there will be things where they show him cooking all the time, and he was, he was the chef in the house. In fact, the, the story goes is that my cousin Jane, uh, their daughter, will say things like, um, would say things like, um, mommy does the thinking and daddy does the cooking. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's so, what a great arrangement. Yeah. You yeah, love that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he was, he was Ross Perot's attorney to put together the, I think the, the, um, the GE deal and, and was, uh, was really pivotal in, um, in, in her career and his career. And I remember when she was nominated for the Supreme court, he called, um, my uncle and said something like, Marty, I would, uh, you know, I would do anything to make sure that Ruth made it to the to the court. But what I think you want me to do is absolutely nothing. <laughs> like yes, <laughs> that's that. Just be quiet. Yeah, don't say a word. Quiet. Yeah, you know. Yeah, what's that? What's that like? And that's not why we're talking this morning. But but what's it I know, like? We're going to get through segment I, one. And I know. That's What's it? What's it like to see a close relative like that, a family member? Uh, whose life kind of gets played out on the big screen, but, you know, appointed to the Supreme Court is one thing, but but to sort of become, I mean, to sit there and watch it, what's that like for you? Yeah, well, it's bizarre, yeah. um, but but even more for her. I mean, we'll ask her from time to time just about, you know, so, you know, I was at her in her chambers when um, she received a package. Someone had, like, tattooed, I'm not even sure it was real skin or not real skin, but it was like a picture of her that was framed, and I was like, these are the most bizarre are things that people think that you might want, you know, in terms of like, here's a gift of, you know, <laughs> synthetic or authentic skin. And they, I, her clerk said, you may not put that up here. Like that cannot. That <laughs> that's, that's so great. so yeah. it is, it's a, it's a little strange, but um, what's wonderful is I'll reach out to her and say, do you, would you be willing to uh, meet with uh, the young Democrats and do a, a, a case with them or talk? And she says, I will only meet with the young Democrats if I'm meeting with the young Republicans and young independents. And, the yeah. young, you know, she is so thoughtful about um, about who she is and, and, and the position of a, a member of the court. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we could get into a whole conversation about how the world is maybe turned upside down. And people sometimes forget that, you know, we're all Americans and we may see things differently, but we're all part of an amazing country and, and should see it that way. Um, so she will do from time to time with classes, um, where we'll, we'll present a a case that was a Supreme court case. We don't tell them how it was resolved. They take sides. They, um, and, and she'll, uh, she'll, uh, zoom in or this time it was Skyping in. And, um, and then we'll do like a big reveal at the end on how the court decided, you know, and half the class is like, no, you know, so, (laughs) So, anyway. That's cool. Great, great experience. Great uh, teaching accessory too, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, sort of the scope of your job as uh, superintendent of Columbia Public Schools. Uh, how big is the district in terms of buildings and students? Give us some some quick numbers there. Yeah, so you know, going back to the theme song, if you grew up in this town, you you know we've grown considerably, but yeah. you may not have realized how much. Uh, in some cases, uh, obviously, when you drive around town and you say like, if you if you you were born here and you say West Boulevard was the westernmost school mm-hmm. in the district in 1950, and now look where you know how yeah. far how far in Central City it is considered now. So we are um, the fifth largest school district in the state of Missouri. Um, we have continued to grow, um, and that is a good thing. 
housing. Um, I talk to superintendents around the state who are all trying to figure out how to close buildings or what what that that the enrollment decline really means for their bottom line and the course offerings and what was once um, a community with great resources has become a, a struggling kind of district and that you know thankfully has not been our case. Um, we are the fifth largest. We have uh, a little over 19,000 students now, mm. um, which is unbelievable because in you know just 40 years ago there were about 11,000 and. Um, we have 3,000 employees. We're the third largest employer in town, mm. although I keep watching VU add and yeah. add and add, so soon we'll be the fourth largest. Right. So, yeah, so that, I mean, that's, yeah. that's who we are. We have 36 buildings, more than 3 million square feet of roofs. And when we talk about why we approach the community and, and talk about uh, bonds and how being able to maintain our buildings is is is, is as important as it is to build new buildings to deal with our growth. Yeah, it makes you the CEO of, of one of Columbia's largest companies. I mean, that's really Isn't kind that of crazy? A, yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it really it's it's a it's a business, and I know that uh, people don't often refer to school districts as a business. But when you're managing three thousand employees and right and all of that a real estate of over three hundred million dollars, yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's a big two hundred and sixty million with with just the operating, but then with bonds and and all of our projects that have been you know uh, approved by the community that will last over the next twenty years. Uh, yeah, you're talking a very large operation. And so when I think about my job and the scope of my responsibilities, I think of it in three three ways, almost like a three legged stool. Uh, so you just mentioned chief executive officer. So I'm the CEO of a very large organization. Um, but then I also have a role as an educator. So I think of myself as sort of the chief learner, that mm-hmm. we're, the, we're the community's teachers in a lot of ways. Um, and then I know that we're the public's schools. And so my big role is in, in terms of maintaining the trust of the community. We can see how quickly that can erode. Uh, you've been in the school district or in the community enough when a superintendent potentially has not been as successful in, um, in, in making sure that the community is well-informed and feels like they're a part of decision making and things like that and so one of one part of my job is to be the chief storyteller is mm. to really make sure that we're really being clear and transparent and being honest uh, with our community about uh, what's going well and what needs to be better. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's. I hate to use this word with a public school educator, but you know, I want to talk about the evolution of uh, of public education and sort of when you first began your career out in California. How have you seen things evolve as as a, an educator? Yeah, so there are certain things that have stayed the same um, when we talk about achievement gaps and things like that. Um, that will, I, I'm not, that, that is a persistent problem for school districts across the nation. Um, and a lot of it goes back to, uh, to class in terms of families with means uh, as, as, as compared to families without. And so that has not changed very much mm-hmm. in my time in, uh, from Oakland to here. But what I have seen um, is a real shift in terms of the mental health needs of our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that is extreme. Yeah. And I know in your, in your role, um, it, whether in, in business, but certainly in your current role as commissioner, uh, you've seen um, the need and, and, and have supervised or overseen, you know, significant funds that are, are meant to um, help alleviate those issues. I mean, when we talk about kids who come to school with such trauma, um, and now I'm thinking about, you know, and we'll talk about it in the second segment, but kids coming back to school after being out for 20 weeks or so, yeah. um, and when we hear from the from Children's Division uh, from uh, that that they've seen a decline of about 50% in terms of calls for child abuse and neglect, um, knowing that the schools play a, as mandated reporters, we yeah. play a role in in notifying authorities when we suspect that a child is in a dangerous situation, and so those calls are now not being made, and so I worry about when kids do return. 
the trauma they experienced before COVID and then certainly exacerbated by the fact that um, they've had a number of insecurities that they've had to deal with. Um, let's, let's pick up on that topic. I want to spend some more time in that in the second segment because I think that's something that is yeah. um, a lot of people that maybe don't have young school children would be shocked to, to hear what's going on. This is Fred Perry. We're visiting with Peter Siepelman, Columbia Public School Superintendent. We'll be back after this on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. Everyone. He's breaking down what's going on inside Columbia. It's Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And good morning. Welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host. We are visiting with Columbia Public School Superintendent Peter Stiepelman. And right before the last break, we, we were getting into a conversation about mental health uh, as it relates to uh, elementary school students. And you and I had a conversation a few months ago about, you know, if you could wave a, wave a magic wand and, and uh, get some help um, if, if funding were not an issue. But uh it shocked me what you told me, but the, that the biggest mental health needs in schools right now are at the elementary level. You know, we always think about, you know, um, uh, junior high kids and senior high kids, you know, uh, going through puberty and all the, the, the social pressure they have. But, but really our greatest challenges as a school district right now are in elementary school. Talk about that for a m- moment. If you yeah. Don't and I think it, it probably merits a little bit of clarification because I know that those who are going to be listening, uh, today are going to also then text me later today and say, what do you mean just elementary? So uh, what I'll say is, is that, um, when, when children are, I don't know the best way to say it. When we see a child's needs, um, their behaviors demonstrating or a manifestation of their anxiety or stress or just high cortisol levels, um, it looks different in older kids than younger. Um, so that doesn't mean that older kids don't need uh, attention because they, they often will go internal, right? They'll internalize. And so we've got to make sure that we have opportunities to address those needs. When I see it in elementary kids, it's a lot of externalizing behavior. And what I mean by that for your listeners is like explosive behavior. So uh, hurting themselves, hurting others. Others um, really um, just just very like, very violent, and so um, so that's what I mean by when I see it at elementary is that we we are trying to figure out how do we support children who are really screaming for help uh, and really screaming, mm-hmm. and so um, so I know that Boone County and its mental health uh, coalition or the or the Family Access Center or or the just the Children's Services Board in in particular is designed. Um, around trying to support children and their families um, to help resolve and 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 try to you know find solutions that don't erase uh, what's happening certainly, but trying to figure out how to how to best navigate um, what is a really challenging situation for a family. Yeah, you and I talked about the idea of maybe getting a, a counselor um, or a psychologist, psychiatrist in every single school building. Um, wh- how how unrealistic is that, or is, is that something that you think could be practical? Yeah, so I'll say that uh, Columbia is pretty close. Uh, we spend more money than any other school district we compare ourselves to when it comes to counseling needs in our schools. So every elementary school has a school counselor, and some have uh, um, a little bit more than that, that they travel between buildings because of the size of the building. Uh, every middle school and high school has school counselors that also has 
um, outreach counselors. And so these uh, these are professionals who are crisis counselors who can really support kids who, who need additional support and help them navigate uh, sometimes a, a system that isn't um, completely obvious in terms of getting mental health services. Because our counselors can only meet with kids up to about three visits um, one-on-one uh, before they have to refer out because they're school counselors, not um, you know primary therapists and, mm-hmm. and counselors in that sense. And so um, I know that in conversations with uh, Joanne Nelson at the county level uh, that there's a proposal, I think, for the Children's Services Board to look at ser- helping all Boone County schools, not just Columbia, but all Boone County schools in um, some additional support to help uh, children who are in crisis because there's a gap. We do a lot of preventative work um, and we do a lot of uh, responsive work, but there's that, there's that middle piece of being immediately responsive and then supporting the kid so that we don't see um, kids ending up in uh, a juvenile detention center or, or um, interacting with the police um, because there may be an alternative way to sort of divert uh, the, the, um, the path so that a child can go get the kind of services they need. And this is, you know, this is way outside of my pay grade, but it, it's one of those, uh, I understand that quite often the situation is, is that, that some of the anxiety that these kids, some of the, the mental health issues these kids are, are feeling, it's really been brought on by some sort of, of trauma that they have experienced. And I think that's, uh, that's another whole new concept for, 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 for lay people. I think that's true. You know, when you asked me in the first segment about what has changed, I think um, we can all recognize that we've seen uh, a shrinking middle class and so that the gap between rich and poor has probably never been larger than it is today. And that's felt by schools, but it's also felt by families. And so when families have the kinds of insecurities um, that would add stress, so if, you know, you don't have regular housing and at the end of the month your stuff is on the front lawn and you're moving out to the next place, or you don't have regular, you know, you have nutrition insecurities, yeah. um, so healthy meals are, are out of reach, uh, and you may live in a food desert, and you don't have regular access to good uh, and healthy foods. Um, you may have um, um, wage insecurities, right, so that you don't have a, a job that's paying you a living wage, uh, and you're working two jobs and maybe don't have health care. So you have health care insecurities, and you're relying on state aid and those types of programs that continue to seem to be shrinking, um, and I know that there's a lot of interest in, in in, in, in making sure the families have those things. So you, you combine, you sort of like compile all of these layers of insecurities and what, what uh, one can only imagine that, that that only contributes to that, that level of stress. Where am I going to be staying tonight? Who, where am I going to get my next meal? And so then we ask children just to sit and learn. And they're like, uh-huh, sit and learn. Got yeah, it. Right. Yeah, but I'm mm-hmm. starving yeah. and I don't know where I'm going to be staying tonight. Yeah. That is stressful. Uh, I want to just uh, sort of segue into a, a kind and of. And then you a, had COVID. Right? Yeah, then you had COVID, <laughs> and here we are. It's you know, it's one of those things where talk about uh, sort of what the last few months of your life have been like as a superintendent. Uh, how did COVID nineteen impact uh, your ability to do your job? Yeah. So, I mean, every moment of my job now has been really about either at the beginning of March, thinking about when we might uh, have to be forced to close school. And then uh, every minute since then has been about what our um, opening might be. And so, um, you know, it was interesting because at the beginning of March, we were we were monitoring and hearing some stuff, but we didn't necessarily feel like we were in a position yet. You know, we saw that in the state of Washington, they were closing schools, and then we saw in Illinois, they were closing some schools. Um, but in these major metropolitan areas was really where we were seeing it, Seattle, Chicago, those types of things. And then, um, if you remember, 
a, a group of students from Mizzou were returning from New Orleans from a journalism program, yeah. and they may have had contact with somebody who was positive, at least the way I remember it. And and then all of a sudden, it was like Mizzou said, "In two days, we'll be closed." And and uh, and it sort of it all folded pretty quickly after that. Um, we look at our attendance as a way to sort of help us understand. You know, for one thing, attendance is our lifeline to our funding. Mm-hmm. Right? We get paid each day for a kid who's positively there. So um, and so that's the the funding model that exists at the state level for funding schools. So it's called your average daily attendance. And so if kids aren't there, you don't get paid. And so when your fund when your attendance begins to drop um, precipitously, is what happened. We had ninety percent of attendance on the Friday before we closed. On that Monday, it was down to seventy. And that Tuesday was down to 60. And at that point, it, it didn't make financial sense to stay open either. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, we were hearing from our community that they had decided that they didn't feel like it was going to be safe to send their kids to school. And that's why we closed. We were really hoping to get to spring break and then be out for two weeks and then see what the what everything looked like. Um, so that was sort of how we ended in closing. And, and what would happen is when you move to what the state called alternative measure of instruction, AMI, you would get 94% attendance. So you can see why school districts all across the state decided that they were just going to close and move and migrate their their platform from in-person to an online platform because um, it would be the only way that they could be able to be able to reopen their doors in the fall. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, you've been through this, and, and talk, talk about the challenges that teachers. I know early on it was a rough start. Uh, you know, the the <laughs> online education just re- really it was so new to us. I mean, we've been talking well, about right. it for and years. And I wouldn't but, even have called it online yeah. instruction because I I would say what we tried to do in those first two days that we we said okay we're back and we tried to uh, essentially like just immediately like turn your in-person instruction into online teaching. And immediately it became pretty apparent, especially for a high school kid who has seven different teachers, mm-hmm. that everyone was just bombarding kids and uh, with, like, here, here's the information, here's the, here are the assignments, this is when it's due, and we're going to zoom in at this time. But then that was conflicting with another time that people were Zooming, and parents were feeling incredibly overwhelmed. Uh, and so we hit a timeout. First of all, we were at the beginning of COVID-19 hearing really horrifying stories from outside of the U.S., but then certainly in some cases inside the U.S. And so we knew that we had to like sort of, we had to pause and really like turn our attention towards the mental health piece of just the social emotional needs of our kids checking in, seeing how they're doing, what kind of like those, you know, they call the the Maslow, you know, hierarchy of needs. Like how do we make sure the kids are safe and that they're getting food? So then we turned our attention really quickly to mobilizing um, our nutrition services under the leadership of Lena Fulham, who is, uh, she is a gift to Columbia. Hmm. Um, And so mobilizing um, uh, nutrition services to provide, uh, to prepare meals, and then Blake T. Cody, who's our director of transportation, to coordinate all of our uh, 80 bus stops around the city to make sure that we were delivering meals every single day to children and their families. And so that became a really big part of the operations piece. Then we had to also get back into buildings, uh, make sure that they were, you know, incredibly clean. And so we started to use a checklist outside of every classroom and every every um, office area that showed exactly what was clean So and then double signed by the custodian and then by their supervisor. But then we also then had to start thinking about how do we get people their stuff back? Because we just said, we're done. You, know, you got to yeah. leave. Yeah. So then we had to get kids to be able to come. You know, I, I was thinking about you know that turkey sandwich that some kid left in his locker <laughs> and how, you know, the many months that it yeah. was sitting yeah. there. <laughs> Yummy. So, um, so those were some 
some of those those challenges. And then, you know, we had to look at, like, what was the most fair thing to do? Because I know that you've taken some great leadership in trying to figure out broadband connectivity mm-hmm. and making sure that um, communities particularly in, in, in the rural parts of Boone County, have access to reliable internet. Because how can a kid do school if they can't actually reliably access the school? We can give them equipment, but if they can't get it. So we were pretty quick. Arla Monroe, who's our director of, of, of technology services, was super quick uh, out of the gate to get uh, hotspots. But even hotspots in rural parts don't work if you don't have you know any kind of connectivity to yeah. like if your cell phone doesn't work out there then the hotspot's not going to work either so um so that's been an ongoing challenge but it was um you, know, you talk about all the different things and all the different moving parts there's a lot going on then yeah. how do you make sure that um individuals aren't accessing our buildings so we had to like you know turn off the key fobs and turn off the uh, alarms but then we had to hire sort of an external security firm to sort of drive our buildings just to make sure that of all of our real estate, that that is protected and, and, and safe. And so, um, let me let me go back to two of the, the yeah. most sensitive issues. One was feeding kids. How many kids yeah. do you think you ended up feeding? Um, uh, well, we're still doing it. So we had some um, some money that came in from VU, from uh, United Way, mm-hmm. from uh, from the Boone, uh, the Como Helps. Uh, so I know that's a, a collaborative that the county has played a role in as well. Uh, then the Columbia Public School Foundation uh, contributed twenty five thousand dollars, as well as John mm-hmm. Anderson from ESPN. Oh yeah, uh, who went really? to graduate school? Yeah, I he did gave not us five thousand dollars for food. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, so the 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 John Anderson Charitable Family Charitable Foundation. Um, he has really taken an interest in. Columbia public schools over the years and just quietly is, has been a, a real a real champion for us so it's very nice um, so so we're still doing it probably about 1300 meals a day is what we're uh, is what we're feeding yeah. but and that's a lot but then if you think about it 46 percent of our kids participate in free and reduced lunch right. and so that's really not even getting close to the number yeah. of kids who actually are eligible to grab it and then this summer we've really wanted to make sure our community knows that it, it you don't have to be a, uh, a a you don't have to participate in free and reduced lunch to be eligible for the meals. Like we know that some families right now are situationally yep. in trouble, right? And so they've lost their job, they've closed their business, um, they're not making ends meet, and so this food is el- any kid is eligible to grab a meal. So I would really encourage families to to make sure that they if they need the food, like go get it. Like yeah. we're going to get reimbursed, so this is not like you're stealing from anybody. We'll get reimbursed from uh, the state level as well. So um, really want to make sure that you and your children have uh, have food. Yeah, it's hard for people to comprehend uh, what some families are going through as a result of this. But uh, when we come back from this break, we're going to jump in. I want to talk a little bit more about broadband in, in rural Boone County and how school children are affected. But uh, kind of talk about what's coming up next. Uh, what are some of the construction projects that are going on? Um, and then how are we going to reopen schools in the fall? And this will be a sneak peek for a lot of listeners uh, who have not yet uh uh, heard straight from the horse's mouth uh, what's going to happen here. So <laughs> this, is a, <laughs> this is a unique opportunity. But we are visiting with uh, Columbia Public School Superintendent uh, Peter Stiepelman, Dr. Peter Stiepelman, and we will be back right after this on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. You're listening to Inside Columbia with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. 
welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this morning. Uh, we are very pleased to have Dr. Peter Stiebelman, the superintendent of Columbia Public Schools, joining us this morning. And he really is the CEO of one of Columbia's largest companies with uh, 19,000 students, 3,000 employees, 36 buildings, uh, a $300 million budget. So it's, it's, it is quite a feat to keep things uh, moving and running. I want to talk a little bit about some of the things you're working on this summer. Voters just uh, approved a no-tax increase bond issue. Uh, talk about what that will fund. Yes, I will. Uh, first of all, I, I also want to say thank you to the committee for approving that bond at an 86 86- percent approval rating. Yeah, that's our that's highest. Remarkable. That's yeah. really it really it really to me sends a real message about their trust in our school board in terms of their long range planning uh, that's led by Teresa Maliti uh, and then certainly our our cabinet who leads that work as well. So Heather MacArthur, our CFO, and Randy Gooch, our CEO, they work incredibly hard to sort of plan out what ten years will look like. And so this bond uh, was to uh, that was approved is to build an addition onto an elementary school. Uh, it'll either be Battle Elementary. Uh, which has, is ready to be built onto hmm. uh, because of the growth in the Northeast, um, or Russell Boulevard, which has the space to build onto as well, which is you know nestled within a neighborhood. And so we try to build onto schools before we build new schools because it doesn't require us to hire all new personnel. You know when you when we're we're opening up the new middle school uh, this August, so John Warner Middle School out on St. Clair, and that requires a new principal, assistant principal, you know, custodial, nutrition services, teachers, specialists. You can't Sidewalks. just move <laughs> sidewalks. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you're a fairly impulsive guy, and you've really, you've really behaved. I'm really impressed with you. <laughs> oh, I tell you. Yeah. So, um, so. Building onto an elementary school, uh, we thought about building onto Midway, but Midway is so far out of town, and to bus kids all the way out of town when you can build onto Russell um, makes a lot more sense to us. We can keep kids in town into bikeable, walkable school. Yeah. So, um, but we're also going to put um, athletic uh, turf fields at the practice fields mm. at the comprehensive high schools. Yeah. You know, we're constantly asked to use our fields, and then we also have the marching band that competes with the football team, oh, yeah. competes with the soccer team, competes with the lacrosse clubs. And so providing a really good space uh, for our, our um, activities, uh, community activities and school activities is really important. What? Um, and Go ahead. Yep. Nope. And then um, safety and security obviously is a really big piece for our community. And so we're going to continue our work with creating these uh, secure vestibules. So not only do you get buzzed in, but then you also have to be in a, in a space to, be, to wait to be secondary buzz in. We learned about that from the shooting in, in Connecticut um, when... Um, they didn't buzz the guy in, but then he shot through the, the, the window and came in. So we have been putting in bullet-resistant bullet screening over our yeah. windows yep. um, and things like that. So, um, And yeah. that's what really – oh, and it'll put an elevator in Jeff Middle School. So Jeff Junior, Jeff Middle School, uh, can be fully accessible as a building. It's going to be our STEM and Arts Middle School okay. uh, this year. And yeah. so we want to make sure it was fully accessible to kids and the adults in their lives. Is there still that elevated basketball court where you could uh, fall off the yeah. side of the court? Yeah, yeah. Is that still yeah, there? Yeah, you're not considered a true Colombian unless you have fallen off the stage at Jeff Jr. <laughs> it's like a rite of passage. So, so the bond that was approved in 2018 uh, is going to fund a gymnasium. And so that has now gone through, I think, almost all reviews. And so that project will begin this coming year. You'll start to see um, the gymnasium being built on the Jeff property. And wow. so that will allow us to have a, a, a separate gym from the stage slash uh, fine arts area. Yeah. One of the topics you're going to be tackling here this summer is attendance areas. Talk about that process. And, yes. and uh, are you using an outside vendor to do that again? 
We are. We're using the same vendor that we used last time called Cooperative Strategies. They're out of uh, Columbus, Ohio. And they, that's all they do. And in fact, I think it, is, it was a long time uh, due. As a school district, we do a lot of things well. And it takes a lot of work, and it's, a very, it's very complicated work for, um, and it probably makes a lot of sense to have an external um, um, contractor do that work. Takes the politics so, out of it. A little bit, right? Yeah. So the lobbying of like, I need this, this neighborhood or this street, yep. you know, that kind of stuff. And so they bring that information to the school board. Um, now they will have, so that starts this month that they are forming right now, I think an email went out to families and to community members to ask if they'd like to be part of focus groups. And we do. We can meet with our with our realtors. We meet with our developers. And then we also have parent groups that give feedback on scenarios that they start building. And then they will bring uh, some of that work to the board over July and August. Um, and then they'll bring it in September. And then it is my goal to have that um, approved by October, just so that families have a good sense of what attendance areas might look like uh, the coming the following year. Yeah. And this is just for elementary schools. So okay. we just we already got through middle school and high school and those go into effect this August. So this is just for elementary and we had started that work at the same time as the middle school and high school stuff, but it got too confusing, you know, it, because it wasn't going to be for a few years and so we paused on elementary and now we're picking it up again. What part of town do you think is most likely to be impacted by by this uh, Yeah, so the, it was driven by um by Paxton Keeley. That is a, a school built for 650. It's been it's had over 700 students. It keeps growing, and there's no release valve. And um, we've seen further development in its attendance area. And so, it was initially of let's look at Paxton Keeley and how it may impact uh, Beulah Ralph to the south because Beulah also is nearly out of uh, classroom space um, because of the growth in the south of town. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the board at the time uh, asked for a, a more thorough review so that it isn't just piecemealed, but that they're thinking long-term. Because one of the mistakes that we made in the past, and we have to own it, is that we kept moving kids. You know, a kid who's been was at Mill Creek was then moved to Grant and then was moved back to Mill Creek. Or a kid was at um, Shepherd and was moved to Alpha Heart and then two years later was moved back to Shepherd. And so we really need to be doing a better job, and this is what Firm helps us do, about long-term planning and not necessarily just um, short-term sort of like, oh, we need to fix this for this coming year. And that is really that's an emotional thing for families who often are buying specific homes because of the neighborhood, yep. because of the school, and to only to have that pulled out from under them after two years is um, is unfair. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Both of our uh, children, uh, you and I, our children, uh, collectively, went to Grand Elementary. I'm, and we, we have children? We have children, absolutely. <laughs> I forgot about them. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. I'm in the process of selling a piece of property over in the Old Southwest, and, and uh, the fact fact that it's a grant school district is like the number one uh, factor for for people looking at the house. I mean, they just they they really have. And I know that we have lots of good schools in Columbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but you know, it just grants a huge draw. It just it's interesting to me that that people um, value things that way. You know, I guess it's no surprise. It's their yeah, kids. Yeah. You know. When I say we have kids, my, my kids have, uh, you know, because I've been working remotely, so I've been at home, are, are desperate for me to go to some, any kind of meeting. Like, <laughs> I get it completely. I, I'm, I'm desperate for my kids to go somewhere. So um, anyway. Right. right. Um, you have a graduate. Yeah, that's I right. I, I want to talk a little bit about the return to school um, yeah. and uh, what, because of COVID-19, uh, things are, are going to be very different. But what what are you currently thinking about the return to the fall semester? Yes. So when we were we were looking at, tell me how much time we have, Fred, because I know we're getting close to the time. I just want to make sure. Uh, we have six minutes left. Okay, perfect. That surprises so, me. Okay. 
So that's good, because one of the things that we were looking at from the beginning of March, as we were hearing universities and colleges and other school districts around the nation saying, uh, we may not even be back in the fall, right? We don't know what it's going to look like. And then it merged to, okay, well, we'll be back, but it's going to be on these A days and B days or A weeks and B weeks, and kids won't be coming uh, full time. And as we were exploring all of those options, you, you, we got a real sense um, how uh, uneasy our community was getting about that as well. Um, and so we launched something called a thought exchange. And thought exchange is a really, really cool tool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, um, you ask an overarching question. So our question was, you know, what, what are your thoughts about the, our return in August? And then you get 150 characters to give your first sort of initial thought. And then you get to say, yeah, but this is what I mean. So you get another 150 characters to, to say a little bit more. So you may have said something like, I'm concerned about the mental health needs of kids if they don't return back to school. What I mean by that is, like, our kids have been out for a really long time. They've, they've experienced trauma, and they need in-person school. Like, that would be an example. Mm-hmm. And then you hit submit. And then uh, individuals who are also participating in the thought exchange rate how they think about your your thoughts. And so it's on like a one to five scale, like you're rating your um, Amazon purchase or your Uber driver. So we had more, almost 5,000 people participate. We had more than 7,000 independent thoughts and we had 210,000 ratings. We have a very, you know, we have kind of a judgy community. Yeah. Wow. So, um, and so, uh, and that was really helpful because it really gave us a sense of what our community was thinking in terms of a return. And the biggest thing that they wanted, they really want in person. They want it to be safe, right? They don't want to put anyone at, at, at risk in terms of their health, but they really want us to find a way to do in person. And so what we did was uh, we took that information and we worked on a way to make sure that families do have options. And I think that's really what our community wanted more than anything. So our, our what families are going to, I guess, just in a couple of days, because today's Saturday, so you're going to get in just a couple of days, um, in a, a, an FAQ or a Q&A is sort of a help families understand what their options are. But we, we did tell families last week that you'll have the option of coming in person five days a week, or you'll have the option of doing a, a, an all online uh, program. And it will be distinctly different from what it looked like in the spring. So for elementary, we have a relationship now. We signed a, an agreement with the University of Missouri because uh, they have been doing online teaching uh, all over the world for, for the last few years. And so they'll do our, they'll provide the curriculum and the platform, but it'll be taught by CPS teachers. So they'll be supervised and supported by our Mizzou colleagues. Um, Dean Cheval and and her team have been excellent. And we really wanted to do something. We knew that we couldn't turn uh, together an elementary online program that quickly. And so we know that they've been doing it for some time and they've been doing it well. And so, and if we can keep that money here in, in, in our community in terms of paying for that service, uh, we should. So, so, we're doing that. And then for middle school and high school, we'll have CPS teachers teaching their courses online. So you can do an online option or you can come to school and do it in person. If for some reason COVID, you know, there's another tide, it hits it hits Missouri in a way that we hadn't anticipated. I mean, we have been so blessed. I know yeah. that you on the regular calls ask how many beds are, are, are we, you know, how many beds are right now mm-hmm. treating COVID uh, uh, patients and it's almost zero, right? And yep. so Columbia, Boone County, 
uh, we have been so fortunate. And so if we can maintain that good practices of good hygiene and things like that, we should. And so we'll, we're, it will look like the in-person piece is going to have elementary students staying in their classroom. Now, I want to make sure that for your listeners who watched a KOMU report by a, one of our summer journalists who said that they were going to stay in their room all day and never be let out, right. that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> but we're going to create a stable group so that instruction is done in that classroom, but they'll go to recess, they'll, they'll actually go to the bathroom, that's okay, they can yep. leave the classroom, but they'll, but they'll eat in their classroom because we're going to try to limit as many layers of protection that we can put in place, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. So we're going to try to create that sort of stable group within the within the school. we got about a minute left, and I, I, okay. I wish we had three hours left, but I mean, this has been very interesting, but uh, all in all, um, I mean, you feel like the, the plan you're going to be proposing this week to parents is, is solid and ready. You have, what's your degree of confidence in, in the proposed plan? Yeah, actually, I'm glad you asked that question because we actually assigned percentages to our plans. Oh, so this is the one that we've pretty much put at about an 80 to 85% good. likelihood. Yeah. So we feel really good about the plan. Our team has been working really, really um, hard. I'll tell you, other districts around the state, they don't anticipate telling families what they're doing until later in July, That's which we amazing. think is a mistake. Yeah. But we've got to build schedules and we've got to build our master schedule. And um, on Monday, we'll start surveying families. What would you like to do? Would you like to be online or do you plan to be in person? Yeah. Um, we'd like families to consider transporting their own child because putting lots of kids on buses is not the best plan either. And so we're going to be um, flexible and, and lenient when kids arrive late. We're not going to be um, how we typically are with like, you're late. Yeah. No, you're late, and we're glad you're here. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> Peter Siepelman, thank you for joining us. We'll have you on again soon. We have a lot to talk about, but uh, thanks for your time this morning. Great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we'll see everybody next Saturday morning on the CEO Roundtable. I'm Fred Perry. You're listening to Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. This city is my city, and I love it. Yeah, I love it.